Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Hope you had a nice weekend. I was just saying to Louise earlier, you remember last week we said goodbye to the summer? <laughs> it was really reverse psychology we were at because there hasn't been nearly a drop of rain since. Isn't it just great? The week's not bad ahead, I have to say, weather-wise, and uh, we could do with more fine weather before the return to school and college, which is imminent now, only a couple of weeks away. Uh, it'll be uh, starting back, and away we go into the autumn schedule. Thank you for joining us once again on the show. If you have anything to say to us, we love to hear from you. 86 658 by WhatsApp or text through the afternoon. Now, August bank holiday, it's in the rear mirror at this stage, but you would be aware that over the bank holiday, the Garda Roads policing operation was in place from Thursday the 3rd of August until Wednesday the 9th. During that time, sad to say, there were three fatalities on our road, eight serious collisions and eight serious life-threatening conditions for people who were travelling in those vehicles. But when the stats issued late last week to us, really, it's eye-opening when you see uh, what was prosecuted. And joining me now is a very good friend of ours on Late Lunch. He's a real advocate of road safety. He is me, the road safety, safety officer, Mick Finnegan. Hello again, Mick. Hello, Jerry. Good to talk to you, Jerry. And great to talk to you again, Mick. But perhaps not in the context of these uh, numbers and figures here that uh, we're going to talk about for the next while. Um there's something going on there in the background. What is that? There's something playing there behind us, Mick. There's nothing playing behind you, is there? No, no. Oh, no, it's gone. We're gone there. We're gone there. Yeah, sorry. There was somebody else. We had interference, Mick, on, on the conversation. We don't want that for sure. But look, Mick, in terms in terms of the figures that were issued late last week, you and I are going to talk about these now. Look, many things jump from these figures, and maybe we'll just go through them one by one for listeners. 196 arrests for driving under the influence of an intoxicant, Mick. That can be uh, drugs or drink. That's a high number. Too high. 
That's far too high, Jerry. That is crazy numbers. You know, there were over 4,000 people tested in that period from the 3rd to the 9th uh, when the guard operation was on. There was 196 people tested positive uh, for either uh, driving over the influence of alcohol or drugs or a combination of both. Way, way too high. Yeah, and, uh, you know, this is only one of the stats. 1,143 on-the-spot fixed charge penalty notices handed out for speeding, Mick. And, you know, the advertising on television, radio and the newspapers as regards both the issues we addressed there. uh, There's been so many campaigns, Mick. What's wrong? Is the message not getting through? The message does not seem to be getting through, Jerry. The Gardaí issued, as you say, Gardaí issued uh, 1,143 speeding tickets in that period. And it's significant that in the same period, the Go Safe vans operated by the Road Safety Authority, they detected 2,841 speeding offences where people will be getting uh, speeding tickets of speeding notices of. So it amounts to almost 4,000 people in a few days uh, that's over uh, just ignoring speed limits. And despite all the all the advice, all the advertising, all everything, there was a cohort of people out there just ignored. And one of the things that I said, Jerry, that is particularly worrying, I suppose, is that this weekend uh, came hot on the heels of a terrible tragedy down in Slowness, which occurred on the 31st of July last year, which was in the news all week, and rightly so, on radio and television and papers and stuff. Uh, where two young ladies on the way to their deaths lost their lives. And notwithstanding that, there was a big cohort of people out there completely ignored speeding, completely ignored drink driving, uh, completely ignored driving under the influence of drugs, some not wearing seatbelts, others using mobile phones while driving, just ignored us. It's, that's worrying. It is worrying, and, and we have to say as well, weather conditions, road conditions, Mickey, we've got to be aware of those as well in this country. You know, they change in an instant. Absolutely. I mean, especially now where there's heavy downfalls, and in some cases that can create a film of water on the road and lead to, to um, uh, less of a grip on, t- on tyres on the road, and it can lead to aquaplaning and has in some cases lead to vehicles, aquaplaning suddenly was a downpour of rain and people should be very aware of that. And you know, we're always saying that don't drive to drive to the conditions always. The speed limits are not there to as a guide to reach them or anything. Drive to the conditions. If the roads are not fit to drive to whatever the speed limit is, drive to what the conditions are always. Now, those uh, figures are really alarming and worrying, but there's one from all the figures we've just been astounded by in here. Using mobile phones, 209 people charged with that in a, at a time, Mick, when, to be honest with you, nearly most cars on the roads today have hands-free. Have most cars have hands free, but these these this doesn't apply to hands free sets at all. This is holding the phone to your ear, using a hand to use the mobile phone. And you know, there's an old saying, Jerry, you can't concentrate on two things at the same time, and it's so relevant in relation to this aspect. And Mick, it uh, was Louise was saying to me here, should this is going to get worse in the future? Because you know the way now. In in fact, a lot of people are not making calls anymore. They're WhatsApping one another, messaging where it needs, you know, concentration on the handset. There's a danger that this is really going to get out of hand altogether. 
There is, and that is happening. And uh, I know that in one case recently, uh, not a hundred miles from Loudermead, a lorry driver with a heavy load, it was a very uh, articulated lorry, was detected texting on his phone while he was driving. And that happened on the M50 not too long ago. Absolute lethal uh, behaviour. Mm, lethal. And no seatbelts, Mick. God, I thought that was certainly consigned to the history books. We know now, and we know for years and years, if you don't put that belt on, clunk, click every trip. Do you remember that one, Mick? I do well, yes. And over that same period, there were 91 people detected not wearing seatbelts in cars. And again, you know, the only thing you could say about that, Jerry, is it is crazy behaviour. It is absolutely crazy behaviour because uh, there have been so many incidents down through, down through the years where if people are wearing seatbelts, in some cases that have stepped out of cars rather than being taken out and seriously injured and in some cases having lost their lives. 156, 146 vehicles seized for being uninsured and 155 without tax. Two other of the stats. It is comprehensive. It is eye-opening. But, you know, for yourselves, Mick, for Angarda, for yourselves, for people in road safety, what's the next step here? What more can you do? Well, they consistently, Jerry, through the, your good self and through radio and television and, and the media, um, there's a message being sent out all the time to three or four things that's causing all these accidents. And inevitably, every accident is investigated, and the vast majority of them are caused by one or other of the, the four things, speeding, driving under the influence of alcohol or, or drugs, non-wearing a seatbelt, using mobile phones, and in a limited number of cases, fatigue. But if people would just take them four basic rules of the road on board, there would be a huge reduction in accidents, not alone in fatalities and injuries, but in accidents. But there is a, a cohort of people out there who will not do that. That it will just ignore it totally, Mick, that are oblivious, don't want to uh, take on board, you know, the fatalities, the, the lifelong uh, life-changing injuries that people emerge from these accidents with. It doesn't seem to affect a certain uh, percentage of the population. Is that really what you're saying? Exactly. They just seem to ignore no matter what to do. And one or two things there worth mentioning, Jerry. that over the same period, some of the, the speeding that was detected was, for instance, a guy driving at 203 kilometres an hour in a 120 zone, 130 kilometres in a 50 kilometre zone, which applies to towns and villages. In Loud, there was a guy caught doing 147 kilometres an hour in an 80 kilometre zone. Twice the speed practically in all these cases totally out of control if anything happens. They haven't a hope of stopping or preventing an accident. And we would appeal to these drivers, for heaven's sake, for your own sake, for your family's sake and your friend's sake, and every other road user's sake, copy yourselves on. Do you feel, Mick, that, you know, up in the fines again, the points have been up for various offences, what about even taking people off the road for a time? You know what I mean? As punishment. You know the way you have the sin bin, may I make the comparison, in sport where people are uh, put in there for a time. Is that something that could be looked at? I think it is something that could be looked at and possibly will be looked at. I know in relation to the Road Safety Authority that they are consistently monitoring these offences in conjunction with the guards and uh, they certainly have these things in the back of their mind but... Um, it may well come to a stage where some, something like what you were suggesting there may well be implemented. Because this, you know, 
my God, you mentioned those two young girls as well. 104 people have died. It's up now from 104, I think, even. These stats came out late last week. I think there's been one or two more fatalities over the weekend, you know, and it's 12 more lives at that stage when we were talking about late last week lost this year on the roads compared to last year. Now, I know you and I have spoken in the past, and if you go back many years, the, the fatalities were ferocious altogether. In a general trend, Mick, it has to be said, it is improving. It has improved from some years past. I feel the statistics at the, as of today are 105 people have lost it's their lives, yeah. mm. uh, which is exactly as you said, 12 more than the same period last year. But them figures are horrific figures. But they are a reduction on, say, 10, 15 years ago when we were talking about double that or maybe treble that in some cases. But uh, that's that's, I suppose, um, as a result of so much advertising, so much effort that has gone into it. But it's still 105 today people that have lost their lives and in a lot of cases they should not have lost their lives. One of the things, Jerry, that's of concern to the Road Safety Authority and we can all uh, liaise with that or agree with that is the number of single vehicle accidents. Uh, accidents just losing, drivers losing control for no reason, hitting malls, hitting trees, hitting something else, single vehicle accidents. And by and large, that's a worrying thing which should not be happening. Uh, the need for speed is a thing and I, I'm a man myself like yourself and you know when you're younger and that it's, uh, it's some thrill to get behind the wheel of a car and, and, and uh, go fast you know and, and it's I suppose an inherent thing uh, and I am saying it is a thing with the young men young boys as well is that an area boy races is that still a thing is that a factor? It is. It has come back again. Uh, they were off the road during the COVID time because they were restricted to, the, to uh, within a few kilometres of their homes. But certainly, if you travel any of the roads throughout County Meath anyway, you can see the rubber left on roads here, particularly uh, back roads at the present time, um, by these guys at night time. And they are back in, in action again. And uh, they're, they're a danger to everybody, including themselves. Yes, I was driving actually through Mead a few weeks ago and it wasn't that late in the day and I came across uh, two of them going toe for toe by me, in and out. It, it, it just frightened you, Mick, now. It's crazy. And I saw it no later than yesterday on a road in Mead where the zigzag and the rubber was left on the road where they were back in the fool in cars probably the night before or a few nights before. It's a, it's a real worry, you know, and uh, when you just mention a stat like 105, that's 105 people gone, families bereaved, children left without parents, parents left without their children as well. It's just a shocking, shocking uh, statistic altogether. All we can do is hope that, Mick, as you say, conversations like this, the advertising, looking at this all the time to see what can be done as a deterrent will continue, you know, to continue to put the pressure on people to really drive more carefully. Exactly. And one of the things, Jerry, is worth mentioning that for every fatality in Ireland, every fatality, uh, there are approximately eight serious injuries uh, for every fatality. So as of now, uh, that would mean about 840 serious injuries on the roads today. And in some of the cases, these are people who are disabled for the rest of their lives, um, have young families, have families of all descriptions. And it's an absolute disaster for themselves for the families, their friends and for their neighbourhood. Yeah, it certainly is. Mick, listen, thank you for joining me again on the show today. Always appreciate your wise words. Thank you, 
Thanks a million, Jerry, and thanks for all your uh, your uh, action in relation to road safety. Not at all. You're very welcome, welcome Mick. Uh, Mick Finnegan there, Mead, road safety officer. 086-1800-658. By WhatsApp or text, you have anything to say. What is the answer? What is the solution? Have you an opinion on this? I'd love to hear from you. Short break. Back in a moment. Joseph says anyone caught speeding or reckless driving, putting other road users at danger should have their licence taken from them there and then. I have other comments on the road safety. I'll come back to them, I promise you. A needle in a haystack uh, is probably the best description of the story we're going to hear now. I'm joined on the line by Pat Coburn. Afternoon, Pat. Good afternoon, Jerry. How are you? Well, I'm happy man today. I'm generally very happy most days, but you are an ultra happy man today. Tell them why you were on Templeton Beach when last Wednesday was it? Last, last, last Wednesday, Jerry. Yeah, yeah. Myself, my wife, and the granddaughter, and um, we're minding the granddaughter for the week because our daughter's on holidays. Mm. So we were out to Templeton. We love the water. She loves the water, and we've been in the water for maybe an hour or so and uh, got out when it was cold obviously and got dried uh, we had like a flask of tea and a few sandwiches lovely and then we were heading home and as I was turning the corner to come back onto the road the Carlingford and Dock Road I noticed I went oh my god where's my ring and I said I didn't take it off today and I went oh no so I realised then that I had lost it and Town. So we went back and I just had a quick look because I wasn't really expecting to find this, you know. Mm. And um, it had come off in the water. I think what happened was I was holding my granddaughter's um, hand and we were swimming down to the to the bottom of the water to collect sand. It's something she likes to do, but she couldn't make it by herself. So I went down with her. Nice. And I think what happened was when she was pulling her hand away from my hand, my hands were that cold. I didn't realise that the ring had come off. So yes. I, I genuinely uh, did think, and like, as, as you said, when we were looking, there was like looking for a needle in the haystack. Mm. So my wife then on um, my wedding day, she put out like an SOS on Facebook. And to be fair, um, a good few people did say that they could help out and they would give us a lens of um, a metal detector. But our problem was getting back out, like when the tide was low, it, it didn't always see because we had the wee grandchild to look after. Yes. So long story short, um, this man, uh, Alan, Alan Flood, I think his second name is, uh, got in contact with us through our friends who live out in Carlingford, they're actually Mary and Ivor, and uh, to say that he had found three rings, <laughs> and one of them was mine, believe it or not. Uh- <laughs> the other ring was a platinum uh, wedding ring. Not sure it was for a, a man or a woman, and he he returned it. It was a man. It was a, it was a man's yeah. ring. So it, it must be a man thing, Jerry. Don't lose <laughs> all the wedding rings. All the women wouldn't lose them. The boys, you uh, know. All the women wouldn't lose them. No, no. <laughs> and he has a third ring, a silver ring, and he hopes to get it back to its owner yeah. um, as well. So fair play to um, Jerry Flood. He's on Facebook. So if someone is missing. Alan, sorry. Alan. Yeah, Alan Flood. Alan yeah, Flood. Alan Flood founded with his detector on the beach. And were you able to direct him, yes, more or less to the yes, spot where yes. you were? Well, that's, 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 that's more or less where our, our friends Mary and I were coming in. They were actually on Town Beach and they got speaking to Alan. Right. And they told them roughly where um, where the where we think the, the 
um, ring was lost. Like it was more or less directly opposite the, the main step way down to the beach, if you know what I'm trying to say. Yes. So, um, which is where we usually would swim, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and, he, he um, went down there on low tide and did his job with the metal detector. And there you are, not one, two, but three rings he found. Three, and it is your it it is it is your wedding ring, Pat, no doubt it about is, that. It is, it is my wedding ring, yeah. It, it fits perfectly. I, I showed um, <laughs> Alan the mark on my finger. I said, Alan, look, it fits perfectly. So he, he was happy enough to give it to me then. It was, um, yeah. Yes, yeah, it was great. A good, a good, a good story for a change. It's you know. great, honestly, yeah, and I, I mean that. It's a needle in a haystack that he found. It, it was incredible, to be honest with you. How many years are you married? Uh, I don't want to remember. <laughs> <laughs> 30, 38, 38, 39, 39 in September. Good Gary. man yourself. And what's your wife's name? Uh, my wife's name is Kate. There you are. He's done his wow. best to uh, to get to get shut of that ring, but you see that there's no getting shut of the ring. Yeah, or no well, getting shut of thirty eight years. I, I, I thought Jerry thirty eight thirty eight years is long enough wearing it, but obviously not. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I hope you have to wear it for another thirty eight. Fantastic uh, let's, story. Let's hope. Let's hope. And, and thank thank you to everyone who, who chipped in looking for it, Jerry. Ah, uh, brilliant! Jerry well. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. But, thank you so much for joining me, Pat, on the show today yeah. to tell the story. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Take care of yourself. The artist formerly known as Tom Riley is back with his fifth book about Cromwell under the name of Tomás O'Reilly. But he's Tom to me and he's in the studio today. Welcome back. <laughs> Thanks, Jerry. Appreciate that. Why did you go for the Irish version of the name? There's a very good reason for that. It's kind of, it's just one joke, really. That's what it is. And, um, you know, it's the, the fact that some particular historian calls himself by his Irish name. And the book, um, if you've looked at it all, will we'll, uh, kind of indicate to you that I have a big problem with a lot of historians. So that's really what it is. Uh, he calls himself by the Irish name and I am Irish, so I can do the same thing. <laughs> book number five, four of them, you know, historical, including this one and the other, a novel, of course, we spoke last time it was published. Um, I was looking at the title of the book is Making a Massacre. Uh, I think I was thinking about this, mm. a recap of my journey with Oliver. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it is, really. Yeah, Isn't yeah, it? yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I kind of fell into this years ago. You know, I just kind of found that I was interested in what happened around the Mollies, which is where the the siege took place and where the walls were breached. And I just, you know, used to hang around there a lot. And suddenly found myself questioning it and going places where, because I had no experience, no schooling, no scholarly, um, you know, uh, education in, in, in the history realm. So, but then, you know, it just all kind of began to unravel as I started to a- ask questions. And here I am now, 30 years later. And, you know, to, to a lot of local people going, there's this guy again, you know, but it's if you take this and extrapolate it all over the country people are falling off their chairs when they hear the stuff that I have to say do you know what I mean the Cromwell was honourable he was admirable even you know it's just something that doesn't really you know people hear the word Hitler when you say Cromwell so Mm. I'm very much in the minority but I know I'm right and so that's it <laughs> There's nothing that beats being right in your own mind about anything, Tom. So, and I'll always say that to everybody. If you feel you're right in your own mind, fair juicy. But yeah. here's that's one of the thing I wanted to ask you because you break this book down into uh, periods of your lifetime, starting in 1960, then up to 93, which is the first part. 
you, like the rest of us, received the official line in education. Absolutely. When did you, mm. what age were you, what precipitated you questioning this? Yeah, um, I, you know, I think the seminal moment, to be honest, was um, I, I didn't know really where to go because I wanted to write an article and I decided, you know, like, OK, let's do it on Cromwell. So I went down to the corporation records on Fair Street and into it. The town clerk at the time was Des Foley. And I went and I said, Des, there you are. What you got? Do you have anything from 1649, which is the year that mm. the thing took place? And he said, yeah, as it happens, he says, we've got records in here in the strong room. And I went in and I looked at it and I thought, like you and like most people in this country and still, and this is the problem in this country, <laughs> still, you know, I just read there's a, there's a history book. I have to get this out of the way first. There's a history book that's currently on the school curriculum. Fallon's, is it? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A guy called uh, uh, Dan Hegarty wrote it and it's called uh, History in Focus. But that says categorically that three and a half thousand of Drogheda's citizens were killed, inhabitants. Um, now, as it happens, I know now that the population was only about 3,000 3, anyway. But when you go into the corporation records and you read the minutes, you realise, hold on a second, there's loads of people here. They're everywhere. Like, And it's far too soon, if you know what I mean, after the siege for them to be transplanted by, you know, because mm. people, I get that thrown at me all the time. It's complete nonsense because it's exactly, you're going right into the day. There's people who were here before 1649, after 16, hundreds of names. And that's the, the that was the first thing that struck me, and I thought, well, gee, that doesn't seem right. <laughs> so you became, I think, you quote yourself, an accidental historian, <laughs> really. As a, you know, intention know, of yeah, ever yeah. being the, the 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 flag waiver for Oliver no, Cromwell. No, not at all. And it's a, it's a, I find myself in a strange like I'm giving a talk next week to the Battlefields Trust in the UK. Um, I find myself on very strange platforms, and it's because. I think a lot of the reason is because of the pushback that I've got from different historians. And I I don't understand that. Now, the the vocal ones are the ones who have come out and, and, you know, said stuff that 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 about my work that that doesn't ring true to them. Uh, It's their interpretation. Uh, And again, I know I'm right and they're completely wrong. And that's why I've gone for them in in, in this particular book. But yeah, it's a strange uh, thing to be carrying. But I do get off on it, Jerry. you know, Mm. I really like it. If the grain (laughs) is going one way, I'm going to go the other. You know, there's a there's an opinion and a voice, as you know, well here that will say, ah, Riley, you know what I mean? They love him in the UK. Simon Reeves, Ireland. Sure. Remember that well. You're the Guardian like you, too. And they'll say, oh, they love Tom because he's, (laughs) you know, he's spewing the narrative that they want want to hear about this fella yeah well you see the the, the thing about this in, in, in all serious there is a serious angle to this mm. too and and the serious angle is that, that Cromwell over the years has been weaponised um, by you know particularly in, in the northern context because you know they came over here they took all our land they killed all our people I'm, I'm simply saying that Cromwell wasn't the guy that he was made out to be. He didn't kill innocent civilians. That's simply it. I, the, the whole land acquisition thing I don't get into because you know, I'm going to lose that one because that happened. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, we've always had a very fractious relationship with our bully boy neighbours. That's the thing, you know, and simmering beneath. And I can say this because I know I know it's true. Simmering beneath most of most people of an Irish persuasion is, is a kind of an anti-Englishness. You know, depending on levels. You know, we, we nobody wants England to win the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. We never hear the end of it. You know, so there's, there's lots of that going on. And, you know, if you dig deeper, it does get used and Cromwell has been used to justify atrocities in the North. So so I think I've got the high moral ground. I think I'm right and wrong. I think that, uh, you know, we need to stop doing this anti-English, you know, promoting this anti-English 
um, narrative to, to children in particular because they're very you know uh, they're very malleable at that age and, and they can they can become very anti-English very early and, and I, I disagree vehemently with that and, and, and I will say that Cromwell equally in his home territory of uh, Britain you know is regarded as yin and yang as well oh, he's yeah. by no means a, a hero over there no. we've got to say that no absolutely they, they, they dug up his body this gets yes. said often you know and they, they decapitated hung drew and quartered it actually and, mm. and um, yeah so th- he's very yin and yang but the, you know the, the fact that the, he killed the king um, in some people's eyes, is is horrendous because there are monarchs and royal, loyalists and royalists, uh, everything still around. Um, but the fact that he was kind of a, a father of democracy as well, uh, you know, sort of that's the yin and that's the yang. Um, but yeah, he's a very divisive figure, and you could easily research him and come to the conclusion that he was total and absolute tyrant. That's mm. perfectly plausible, and a lot of people on this side of the world do that. But I went objectively and I went with a blank canvas and I researched this guy and I found that he wasn't um, just that. He was he was uh, a reluctant, in my opinion, overachiever. When you published the first book, 99, was it? Was it uh, 99, yeah. 98, 99, around yeah, that time, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. And the reaction to that, did that not <laughs> say to you, Tom, uh, we leave this be, one is enough, you know, without going on two, three, four, know, now five. I, I know. Well, see, that's the point. The point is that this this has been so embedded in the psyche of the Irish DNA and the Irish diaspora all over the world uh, for years, for centuries. That's what that's. And, and, and that's essentially what I'm fighting. You know, like it's it's uh, and, and I will there will be more. I don't know what the next one's <laughs> going to be, but there have to be more because I'm only going to be alive. You're going to be a long time dead, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be alive for so long. I'm coherent still, thanks to God. And I, I do intend in, uh, to make as much noise about this as I can because somebody need to, needs to carry it on. And oddly enough, now that I think about it, I haven't really thought about this. I don't see any others coming behind me. And I think it's because it's so unpopular. You know, the book starts with a death threat. That was real. You know, I had a death threat. What the hell is that about, you know? Mm. It shows you how deep and how long, you know, the, you're talking about 1649, mm. going back to when he was in this neck of, of the woods. When you hear things, though, just staying on the death threat thing, like being accused of abusing Irish history, mm. of treason, Tom. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, treason is, isn't, it's a, it's a non-word really, is it? You know, because, I mean, I'm, I'm as Irish and you know this, you know me a long time. I'm, I'm exceptionally proud of where I live. I'm, I'm, I've got a tattoo of uh, the the local crest on my arm. I see it there. Yeah, it's I it's see in it. maroon and blue because yes. it's it's uh, it's Drada. I'm very proud of being Irish, but that's you know that shouldn't preclude me from taking uh, the stand that I do because I understand. Like the the evidence is very very simple, Jerry. This isn't complicated. Do you know what I mean? We don't need historians to tell us what happened back then. All you need to do is just read it and understand it. But you have to come to it with a blank canvas because if you come to it with the baggage that that most Irish people do, you're just never going to believe it. You take people back in a time machine and there are some people who I'm not going to mention today who feature in the book in a time machine show them what really happened and they still won't buy it do you know what I mean so so that's what that's what it's all about you, you know when we talk about the book again come back to it you break it down in stages of your life you caught me unawares I want to tell listeners this with the book it wasn't what I expected because it's full of humour I have to say it really really is I congratulate you on that and you tie it in brilliantly with you and your life and where you come <laughs> from well done Thank you. Yeah, um, I I've been involved in the publishing business as as in in the past, and I understand that like I, I didn't want it to become very self indulgent. Do you know what I mean? I wanted to kind of I had to kind of 
frame it around my life, but there's not a lot really of me in there. It's more my journey. And the journey is really to highlight, you know, the resistance that that happened in so many areas when I started to espouse all of this. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, I used to write columns and, and I, I always hope I'm funny. A lot of dad jokes, too. I've got any amount yes. of those. Yeah, no. And listen, your columns are legendary, too. But the way you've incorporated into this is fantastic. Mm. Talk to me a minute uh, for a moment about the mask. <laughs> tell the listeners, tell them what the mask is or the, the story of the mask. Yeah, they, well, there are <coughs> there are a couple of uh, Oliver Cromwell masks around the world. And um, I decided back in the day when I was the, the custodian, if you like, of St. Mary's Church of Ireland and Mary Street, that we would get the mask on loan and we would highlight it for people to see what Cromwell really looked like. We did the campaign under He's Back, uh, Cromwell's Back, just to annoy people. And uh, very soon, uh, in the first couple of days, uh, I arrived at the Heritage Centre one morning and there was a group of protesters outside. Now, there was a deputy mayor involved in the, a certain deputy mayor who should remain nameless <laughs> in the protest. He's in the book. <laughs> he's in the book. Uh, and um, it garnered huge amounts of publicity. Not, I, I mean, I could never have imagined the amount of publicity it garnered. And it's simply because... Um, you know, they daubed the walls of the graveyard with tomato juice to represent the blood of the, the civilians that were killed. But it was simply because, uh, you know, I was taking this stand and others were taking a different stand. And um, we were in lots of newspapers. We were on the telly and it did a fantastic job for the promotion of the exhibition. So thank you, sir, <laughs> who shall remain nameless. <laughs> Sometimes things have a habit of backfiring and yes. really, really that, that one did. When when the online world appeared, because you were at this before that, by God, it didn't take long for the abuse to fly there. No, it's it's very vitriolic. and uh, But to be honest, I don't see it as real, if you know what I mean. Mm. I see, you know, I mean, I, I get a lot. There's a lot of like Republican... Uh, types who uh, have a certain uh, agenda and they um, say a lot of stuff and, you know, I get dismissed, uh, you know, wholesale uh, without any discussions. Um, online has also been interesting because I've had lots of debates and, mm. you know, erudite debates and debates with people who kind of know their stuff and they've they've said stuff to me and, you know, pointed some stuff out and some flaws. I've had lots of weak moments along the way as well. And d- primarily the, the huge weak moment for me is, is that I'm not a historian. I didn't do college. I didn't do a PhD. I failed history at school. I got an F in leaving Sarah's history. And that's how I think this is such a huge story, if you know what I mean, in my world, my little but world. But they use it to put you down as well. You know, yeah. they, you know this thing, what, yeah. amateur. Yeah. You know, that's often thrown at yeah, you. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but I'm well able for it, Jerry. Just <laughs> <laughs> so they can throw it the like at me. But you know, because it is simply a case of of looking at what actually happened. And, and and when you, you know, I've said it before, when you take away the baggage, you know, it's just it just makes perfect sense. So I'm well capable of dealing with all of these. And there's lots of them out there. Trust me, I still get it. I still get it today, you know, online. <sighs> the whole thing is amazing that you're talking about 1649 and it does show you that over the centuries, it's still, you know, today yeah. something that evokes such passion. There's a relevance to it, you know, and and uh, it, it does tend to, like I, anybody that I come, come across, you know, in, in, in life in general and, and they're Irish, I kind of always tease out. Now, I don't make a, a pain. I hope I don't make a pain, a pain out of myself. But I always ask them, you know, well, what do you think about this? And they've mostly gone through the same education system as, as um, you and I have. 
And like I said to you earlier, it's still they're still teaching lies, absolute categoric lies to children these at this point in time. And I and I can't I just can't accept that, you know. So, I mean, I've, I've been in touch with the Minister for Education. I've been in touch with the publishers of, of that particular book, but you don't get anywhere. But that just fortifies me. Do you know what I mean? Because you just get yada, yada, yada. You know what I mean? They just dismiss you because you're an amateur. It doesn't matter. But that just kind of emboldens me. And then the more resistance I get, the more confidence I get, you know, because, again, the facts are facts and you can't argue with facts, Jerry. It's just a thing. Have you encountered people on home turf here who say you're right, Tom? Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. yeah it's yeah. not all. Uh, no, no, it's not. No, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> you wouldn't be able to, no wonder, no wonder he's always out running because he wants, I was just thinking, is he always running? Because this man has run so many marriages. Is he always running because he wants to run away Pretty from much. any potential? There he is, Oliver's yeah, protagonist. Yeah. They do wind down the window sometimes and check stuff out the next time. They do, absolutely, yeah. I love it. Yeah. No, but the, I don't mean it in a bad way. No, no, you, absolutely, you know. no, it's great. Yeah. And if, if you, there's lots, like on Amazon, for instance, if you Google me or put, put put it into Amazon. There's loads of support on the Amazon um, website. I've got 60 reviews, which isn't a huge amount of view, uh, reviews for my my magnum opus, the the Cromwell and Honourable Enemy one. But uh, people who just kind of picked it up and went, "Oh, what's this?" and then suddenly they're convinced because it's a very convincing book. Like mm. I say, so yeah, no, there's a lot of support, and I know. It's going to take eons, do you know what I mean, to change this whole narrative. But but it has started. To be honest, I make a big deal about the fact that I get so much, um, you know, pushback. But there's an awful lot more who, of, of people out there who would absolutely accept uh, what I say. Because, like I say, you can't argue with the facts. Where do you go from here? You know, you so. say to me, <laughs> you say to me, there's more there's in more, the tank, yeah. there's more in the locker. Uh, oh, yeah. by the way, just before you go on, someone, yeah. I want to know this. Did you ever get a response from the minister? You know, when you, when you. Not directly, obviously, from her, the Norma Foley, that, that didn't happen. But from her secretary, uh, I believe, who's private secretary. Yes, I got a response, but it was a very standard response. It was a response that sort of said, yeah, look, would you ever go away, please? And um, we're not really interested in what you have to say, but thanks for contacting us. And it's very nice of you to do so. So it was just, you know, it wasn't anything real. Um, but I only did it because I wanted to put it in the book. Mm. You know, there's lots of stuff that I did towards the end of the last couple of years where I said, no, this has to go in the book because it's just classic. Why are they completely ignoring me, you know? Mm. So hopefully they'll be sorry now. I don't know. He's not going away, just to let you all know today. <laughs> he's he's here alive and kicking and more in the locker as well. But, you know, it, it is fascinating. And I... I want to quote a good friend of mine, Sean Collins, the yes, historian, who says it tells, he did a review of your book, I'm sure you saw it. Yes. Uh, he says it tells the story of one man's endeavour to right a wrong as he perceives it. Mm. That's... Well, the caveat is interesting, but, but uh, and Sean hasn't come completely over to my side. Uh, well, I, I'm not speaking for Sean, yeah. but uh, I can't understand why. You know what I mean? So that's where I am. If, everybody, if anybody puts a caveat into praise, I, I don't fully get it. You know, uh, Ruth Dudley Edwards, he quotes as well, who, yes. you know, gave you tremendous credit for yeah, yeah. what you've done. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. No, she did. She did. Mm. Yeah. That, that was a terrific, that, that was actually, that came at a time when it was quite low because I had gotten a few bad reviews from, from people who shouldn't really know better. And then, you know, I was kind of low and this was in the book supplement of the, the Sunday Times. Yes. And I was on the front cover of that. And uh, he says, because that's the kind of thing I do. Um, but he, sh- she was, uh, she was totally convinced. Mm. Um, others not so much, but she was. And and that's what I mean about it. Do you mm. know what I mean? You can absolutely say what you like, but you kind of have to back it up. There's no point if, if anybody's listening to this out there and goes, "That guy's completely off his trolley." You really have to back it up. Opinions are changeable. Mm. Facts aren't. 
Mm. Uh, and you know a forensic analysis like you did of the records of the time would be well worth I wonder how many people have actually gone and done that like yourself can't imagine very you know. few perhaps yeah, you know, absolutely. You know. Very and few. maybe it does warrant something like that I really admire you for all this because you've held the line <laughs> and continue to hold the line and will continue to hold the line the book is called Making a Massacre by Tom Riley or Tomas O'Reilly where is it available John Hunt Publishing is the publisher you can, you can pre-order it now and, yes uh, the more people that do uh, and I don't take any money by the way just so, so people know I don't take any money from my books because this is about the message not the money no interest in money there you so, go so yeah John Hunt Fantastic. Publishing is where you get it I have a copy and I read it and thoroughly enjoyed it I have to say I picked just bits and pieces out of it but there's a lot more in it John Hunt Publishing the book is available from always good to see you thanks you too see Dave. you for the next one I'll be here Really timely, just listening to the last ad there on Late Lunch about Heritage Week. Yes, National Heritage Week runs from the 12th to the 20th of August, so we're right in the middle of it at the moment, and there's an awful lot going on. But water and heritage, I hear you ask. What has water got to do with heritage? Well, to tell us what it has and more besides, I'm joined by Louth Community Water Officer Ben Malone. Afternoon, Ben. Jerry, how are things? How are you? I'm really good. Well, what is water? How is water tied into our heritage? Would you explain that, Ben, please, for us? Well, it's tied in many ways. Like, I mean, we have so much history uh, attached to our catchments, uh, especially in the in the Boyne catchment, Jerry. You know, for example, the log boats that were found uh, in, in, in recent times. And there's going to be talks about them and how our history is just so intimately intertwined with the River Boyne going back to the Neolithic times. And then right up to the, the, the modern day and our use of canal systems to get around as well, transport for industry and goods. Um, like there's a whole horde of, of history that we just want to reveal and, and allow people to connect with and, and revisit as part, of our, as part of our culture that we want to pass on to the next generation and make sure that they appreciate you know, the, the, the previous uh, industries in, in, our, in our river catchments. Yeah, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's uh, you've made the point. Water, it flows through our lives from time immemorial up to today, connecting us in many ways. And sure, when you just look along the coast here, louder than me, you know, the sea and the connection that makes for us as well. So water, you're saying a huge part of our heritage. And this week, you're going to be a big part of what's going on. We are indeed. So the Local Authority Waters Programme, which is who I work for, uh, Law Pro for short, are partners with the Heritage Council in the delivery of Water Heritage Day during National Heritage Week. So we would have our, our, our feet on the ground, so to speak. There's about 13 community water officers that operate around the country and uh, we work hand in hand with communities to develop project ideas and initiatives and, I suppose, pr- proposals for events that take place during these uh, big calendar events that happen on an annual basis. So we have our hands uh, in, involved in so many different um, activities taking place during Heritage Week. And I'm supporting in particular those groups uh, in, in, in County Louth. Um, and of course, I would have a colleague based in County Mead who would be uh, helping the, the, the likes of um, Wild About Navin, Wine Rivers Trust, Trim Tidy Towns, all those fantastic groups that... You know, they're led by volunteers at the end of the day. These are people that have their own day-to-day lives to, to get on with, but in their spare time, they're dedicated to these volunteering activities that give our, our communities something to uh, uh, celebrate and something to uh, get involved in from a social perspective. They really stitch our communities together, and um, I think it's important that we support them as best we can. So I suppose as community water officers, we do that day-to-day in our jobs, but it's important for the people uh, who live in these communities 
to go and show their support and make it worthwhile for all those volunteers that are putting in hard work and hard graft to pull these events together. I suppose people listening would say that's fantastic and people on the ground in these organisations, mostly volunteers, are doing their best. Yes, you have the whole issue of big business, of vested interests, or perhaps government indifference at times when it comes to water quality. We hear it regularly on a news here. I featured it on this show. How can the, the little man and the volunteer, you know what I mean, a, a fly in the face of perhaps people who don't have water and its heritage and its importance to us at heart? Well, listen, we can't deny it. It's hugely challenging, Jerry. It's, it's a work in progress and we're always trying to constantly build those bridges between those business operators that do also depend on, on good water quality in our, in our catchments because we need it for industry and we need it for manufacturing. We need it for, uh, I suppose, providing good, clean drinking water to our livestock and things like that. So as, as the Local Authority Waters Programme uh, operates, we're constantly trying to promote that collaboration and cooperation between the public bodies and, and, and the communities on the ground that are, that are striving for the protection and restoration of healthy waters in our catchments. And it's, it's going to be a work in progress. Like There is no quick fix for these issues, unfortunately. Um, but we'll keep banging the drum as, as, as loud and clear as we can, and we do that hand-in-hand with, with, the, with the communities on the ground who are so desperate for progress. Mm, and that's uh, all you can do. I hear what you're saying. It's all you can do and it's all we can do as well. They often say that uh, great movements and changes start at the power of one and if we don't get involved and don't uh, buy into this, well then we're, we're all lost for sure. So this what, a couple of the, the things to mention please that's happening this week. Give us a flavour for what's going on with you. Okay, so as I said, I would cover the County of Loud. I also cover Cabin and Monaghan as well in my role. But as far as County Loud events are concerned, uh, I'm particularly interested in the ones that promote a natural environment and have that linkage there with, with our water heritage, of course. And uh, I am uh, keen to, uh, I suppose, promote um, uh, a whale watch um, at Clotterhead on August the 19th. And it is taking place, uh, I think, between the times of two and four, led by... Bethany Martin, a fantastic local naturalist with uh, Loud Nature Trust, but also a representative for the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group mm. in the Northeast. So he's conducting that and guiding that whale watch, uh, which is uh, an annual event, and there are 19 locations around the country uh, that is conducting a similar watch, and Clotterhead is just one of them. But from uh, Clotterhead, there's a chance to go down straight to the dunes in Baltray for a walk with Bethany once again, because Bethany's so familiar with the with the dunes and the and the coastal ecosystem habitats around Baltray. So there'll be about a five K walk and talk event uh between the times of half four and six o'clock then on the same day. That's Saturday um the nineteenth of August. Um there's also if we head up to the north of the county in Green Ore, we have uh, an opportunity to engage with a water heritage day event uh with uh, the local communities there. Um the Cooley Peninsula Alert uh, and uh, litter pick groups so they'll be running uh, some litter picks there which are a great active uh, proactive way to get involved in, in, in environmental issues I think I remember hearing Colm O'Regan the well known comedian describe litter picks as a gateway drug to greater environmental consciousness which, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I thought was a fantastic quote Yes, and I remembered it since so there'll be a bit of a litter pick at Green Ore and then there'll be some talks from uh, the local Coast Guard who have a, a, an anniversary to celebrate 
uh, in the service that they've been providing for, for so many years. Very, very important service to the local community. And there'll be a, a local historian for a, a talk on the history of Greenore Port. Now, that happens on the 20th of August. Uh, and that sort of ties up some of the loud events there that I want yes. to promote. Mm. But in Mead, of course, there, there's a, a Boyne Action uh, group, uh, I suppose a consortium of different uh, community groups operating within the Boyne River catchment. And they are also offering river uh, clean-up opportunities, that nice, proactive and practical way to contribute to the health of our river ecosystems by, um, I suppose, picking up some of the litter that would be disposed by people who possibly don't care as much, unfortunately. Uh, but that's a nice social opportunity for people to engage in something positive. And then there'll be walks and talks at each of those locations where those groups are hosting events. So be it in Trim, uh, with Trim Tidy Towns, be it in Navin on the ramparts with the Wild About Navin group. Um, uh, there's also an event in, in Old Bridge and in Laytown up at San Archie Eco Centre. So there's loads of opportunities Plenty. there the people yeah. to get involved. Yeah, plenty of, of uh, opportunities there going on and the day itself, Water Heritage Day is next Sunday the 20th but those uh, events on the 19th as well uh, offer yeah. wonderful opportunities and Breffney Martin, no better man uh, no we know him man. well to take people on whale watching and, and beach walks there at Baltray, you'd really enjoy his company, he's a, he's a mine of information uh, a well of knowledge I have to say. So the information on these and more available on heritageweek.ie or on your website primarily heritageweek.ie that's where I would be pointing people okay. in the direction right. there, yeah. yeah that's the place to go to get all the information on the events it's there Heritage Week it's a great job you do and I admire what you do and your colleagues around the country as well it's a tough one isn't it because you know human beings by nature we think of the day we're not great about thinking tomorrow or down the line no, we are short-term mm. thinkers, Jerry. Unfortunately, we, we mm. don't tend to take take the long-term view. Um, but you know, I've I've a couple of kids here in the house, and the youngest being four months, the oldest being four and a half. It's the next generation that I'm really, really worried about what what sort mm. of world they'll be having to put up with and live in. Like we're, we're living in extremes now of of climate change, yeah. and it's it's frightening for people to hear about you know, the potential of, of the Gulf Stream collapsing and things like this. This isn't science fiction. This is reality, unfortunately. Mm. And it, 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 it's getting to a situation where we have to really be proactive in how we address our environmental issues and, and just start to lead by example, not be laggards in the situation and just, you know, grab the bull by the horns and get on with the job. And, you know, it is, it, it's, it's sad for people to have to listen to the quarrelling and the bickering between different stakeholders groups and different lobby groups and lobby interests and things like that um, but we have to just gather together in one big metal and just get on with the job do the best we can you know while trying to maintain a strong vibrant local economy but also uh, adhere to those en- environmental standards that we, we, we absolutely depend on and future generations do as well so everybody has a role in, in, in I suppose sharing that message and, and advocating for us Every single one of us in our communities has that has that responsibility. We have indeed. And the other thing is, you know, when you see what's happening all around the world today, and here as well indeed with our climate, and like we think, you know, all the rain we get, we have lots of lakes and rivers and loads of water, so it's not a problem here. We're not a, a real hot or real cold climate. Does that make it more difficult for you to persuade people, you know, to bring them to your way of thinking? Of course. I mean, it's easy to ignore the subtle changes in our environments that are signposts for 
this environmental deterioration. Like, you go up to the Hill of Tara, Jerry, and you see this massive expanse of open farmland, but, you know, continuous rows of hedgerows, it makes it look like the whole landscape's wooded, and you'd be thinking, what the hell are we giving out about? Like, it looks like an incredible, rich uh, 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 environment that we live in, but I would also be somebody that would be very interested in bees and things like that. We know that a third of them are at risk of, of extinction. Like, when you look when you look at the detail and you look at the little uh, cogs in the wheel that make up our environment, you know, be it the pollinators or uh, uh, be it the, the river invertebrates that provide food for salmon and trout and, and, and otters and things like that, there are certain cogs in that wheel that are beginning to crack and um, it's the people that are more uh, aware of these changes that are really keen to see progress made. But um, that's what getting people out and involved in these events. You don't have to, you know, I suppose, unload all this depressing information on them with these events. But they, these events that celebrate something positive about our environment are those little hooks that just encourage them to maybe take their interest further and maybe get more involved in the local group and be an advocate for for the local biodiversity, the you know the, the biodiversity action plan for the for the local town or county or whatnot, and just become a little bit more of a of an active citizen, I suppose, in that approach. And that's what we're really trying to do. And it's it's I, I take huge pleasure in working with people, uh, Jerry, who have so much passion and do so much on a voluntary basis. Um, that I take, you know, massive amount of inspiration from from all the people that that, that are working mm. so hard for their environment. It's brilliant to see. Good on you, good on you, yeah. And uh, wake up, we need to wake up and smell the coffee. That is for sure. Anyway, heritageweek.ie, lots going on in Louth and Mead. I've enjoyed our conversation, Ben. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Jerry. All the best. Take care of yourself, Ben Malone. There, Loud community water officer. Loads of events on. Get out, enjoy it, and learn and learn and understand. We spoke to McFinnigan top of the show about those awful stats and road offences over the bank holiday. Matty's been on to say, my pet hate is tailgating, Jerry. I would say that 95% of drivers in the state are guilty of this. I probably am myself, to be honest with you. Also, speeding and late breaking at junctions. The biggest offenders are young and middle-aged females. Oh, Louise. Not to say that there are many males that are worse too. Now, so there, Matty clarifies that as well. The girls are I don't think women tailgate. Do they not? I think men no, do. no, no. The uh, speeding, speeding, oh, speeding and late breaking okay. at junctions. That's what they're talking about. He's talking about there. Thanks for your comments. Keep them coming. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Oh, Louise, the banks are getting it at last between the eyes over the weekend in mm. all of the papers and all Will of the commentary. Will anything happen? Well, that's exactly it, Louise. Will anything happen? Mm. Will it be the usual? Mouth they're service. in the news today. Lip service yep. to this. The minister's been out, this body and that body. Don't we still have shares in the banks as as citizens? Don't the mm. Irish state still own so. percentage of the banks? Small percentage, would well, you? Well, look, we bailed them out. Yeah, we did. And it is unfair. The mortgage rates go up all the time. No, thanks. But there's no, no, uh, you know, there are people with their little savings and that that would welcome the few percent interest on their savings and there's nothing. They've been absolutely laggards. I'd call them blackguards, to be honest with you. Not laggards, blackguards. <laughs> because uh, I have to say they have short memories. They really, really do. And I have an idea. Do you know the way this their hand can be forced? The state, you know, the state savings. The yes. John Lowe talks to us about them all the time. The ten-year, mm-hmm. four, five, four, three-year, one-year stuff. The state savings have gone up. They they, yeah, they increase they them now. In fairness to the state, but what they should do is rise them again. To make rise everybody them again take their and money put and put the, them in there. Yes, put the pressure yeah. on them. 
Uh, you know, and if you're you're with banks, you should it's go and idea. go and see them and talk to them because people leave money sitting there, do nothing with it as well, uh, and talk to them. But they're a disgrace. The banks, the Irish banks, are disgraceful. They're disgraceful in the way they've treated savers, and this has to change. And I am saying today to our government, get the finger out and get in there and tell them and make sure they act on it. They're making not millions, hundreds of millions, billions on the savings. Get in there and you see... And a good increase on savings, not just decent. a 0.2%. Look across the water. We were talking to John here about a crowd who are offering, you know, savings in yep. abroad, Portugal and somewhere else. Now, people are a bit afraid, Louise. Yeah. You can understand this. Absolutely. To move. If you have a life saving, you're very reluctant to move it mm-hmm. to an online situation or to somewhere else. And we understand that despite the guarantees. And the banks bloody well know this as well uh, but um, oh it just makes me blood boil about them but come on we have a government let's lead let's lead let's see action on this here as you say something that's in the news today and chip paper tomorrow the banks got to be sorted out they're a disgrace they're a disgrace on the rates they're given to savings Especially anyway in the cost of living crisis yeah nothing yeah. back uh, World Middle Child Day I couldn't believe it. I was watching the telly I think Saturday morning with me breakfast and this thing came up it's World Middle Child Day and they were all having um, <clears throat> exciting times about I never heard such bull in me life what were they saying was there, is it good to be a middle child or did they lose out I don't want to know I don't care who does I think it's, they lose out do they mm. I think if you're the first child you've got to be really careful and everything they get everything and then the second child is oh yeah get everything for the start until the third one comes along the third one is spoiled because he's the baby he or she's the baby and the middle one is just kind well, that's of if you have a lost. third one or if you have a second one or that's if, if you have a third you, you know, might have you, six, you mightn't have anyway five. I just think it's the pits World Middle Child Day. Give us a break, will you? And let's just forget about this type of nonsense. Could be a World there, Jerry Kelly Day. You don't know. <laughs> there are, no, there are certain days that I suppose have validity. But World Middle Child Day. Oh, <laughs> no. Please, please. Anyway, I'm just looking at our next song. It's going to make me happy after all that stuff we've just been talking about there. Sort out the banks. Sending out a copy of Tom Riley's new book on Cromwell 2 and Mullen. Tom with us a little bit earlier in the show. Always an enjoyable chat with Tom, I have to say. Jerry says, the listener, I see the government uh, meet to bring in the banks about passing on better rates for savers, which includes the credit unions. Uh, the dividend they all pay as you were saying there is far too low for savers thanks for highlighting it Jerry. no problem uh, people have to learn manners driving a car says John basic manners would make an awful difference thank you for that and another one on the road safety Mick uh, Finnegan with us top of the show change the penalty points to a three month ban on the driving licence says Tommy and Mead and that would certainly have an effect thanks indeed for all your comments we do appreciate them now Let's do this this week on Late Lunch. Five, four, three, two, one. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's... The number five from this week in 1982. And I can tell you that the top five from this week were just superb. Some weeks when you pick the top five, it can be a mixed bag or there can be one banger in there or maybe two. No, only one at any stage. But I have to say this week's uh, top five from the, uh, this week in 1982, they're all really good songs. Starting today with one from Hot Chocolate and their seventh studio album called Mystery. 
they were on the crest of a wave mid-70s into the 80s. Errol Brown, of course, the lead singer, no longer with us. Their first big hit was Emma, number three in 74. Then You Sexy Thing was number two in 75. The big number one was So You Win Again in 77. And no doubt about it, made number two in 1980. And this one was their fifth highest ever UK chart entry. And actually it made it no higher than number five. The number five from this week in 82. It's hot chocolate and it started with a kiss. It started with a kiss. The back row of the classroom. How could I resist? The unmistakable voice of Errol Brown and hot chocolate. Started with a kiss, our number five from this week in 1982, and a fantastic top five it is. Four, three, two, one into Friday on late lunch, round about this time. Final break of this Monday afternoon, and afterwards, I'm joined by a bespoke wedding dress designer from Croatia who's opening in Navin. Just reminding you, we're coasting along each Tuesday on late lunch for the month of August. We had a wonderful day in Clarehead last Tuesday, and tomorrow, on the 15th of August, the big day in the village, we're in Blackrock Village just outside Dundalk. We'll be there on the main street with the outside broadcast unit from 1.30. Well, we'll be there from early tomorrow uh, until 3.30 on the show, 1.30, 3.30 for late lunch. So if you're in Blackrock tomorrow and there'll be loads there for the 15th of August, it's a tradition. Do give us a shout. Say hello. We'd love to see you and have a chat with you if you're down there in Blackrock tomorrow. That's late lunch from Blackrock Village outside Dundalk, coasting along Tuesday tomorrow. Looking forward to it. Now, my final guest of the day on the show has been living in Navin for the last couple of years, and she's opening her first studio called Nadur Design on Ludlow Street. She's originally from Croatia. I'm delighted to say hello to Andriana Mitchell. Hello, Andriana. Hi, how are you? I'm, I'm delighted to be here. I'm delighted to have you on the show with me. You're a, best, a bespoke wedding dress designer. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you worked previously and where you learned your trade. Well, um, I studied textile uh, design in Croatia and through my studies I found a job in a bridal shop. It was the biggest in, in my town in Zagreb. And through work with clients, I slowly started to learn the trade uh, from seamstresses that were working there. Um, I was very lucky because I had wonderful colleagues that taught me quite a lot. They were very, very experienced. Some of them were already like over 30 years in the trade. So I learned all the little tricks and I had access to designer wedding dresses to see firsthand how are they made and how were they created so it was an amazing experience for me and dragged me into bespoke design in general Good on you and uh, I wish you the best uh, with the new studio tell me a bit about uh, you know the trends at the moment when it comes to wedding dresses what's really in and what's not so hot at the moment Well, girls today really want to be comfortable before anything else and kind of go for more flowy and airy designs that allow them to enjoy their evening absolutely to the max. Um, They're kind of out of big, uh, massive ball gowns. Um, 
there is no very very heavy fabrics. They're they're replaced with silk or taffeta, lighter kind of materials. So we're definitely out of eighties, <laughs> which I don't personally miss. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, I hear you. We hear you. We hear what you're saying. <laughs> And, and what about the princess-style dresses? Are, are they still popular? Uh, well, the shape is kind of eternal. Yeah. What really changes is, is the flow of the dress. There is no heavy underskirts anymore. So okay. as they stand and walk, yes, the, the, the shape will reflect that. But um, walking down the aisle and moving in general in the dresses is much easier than it was mm. before. So. You say, and I quote you, that brides should think more about what they want from the dress. What do you mean by that, rather than, you know, the the style or design of the dress itself? Well, when when girls start trying on dresses, um, it's absolutely different than anything else they've ever worn. So mm. our mind kind of starts to wonder in what we would kind of, what what's the best picture that we've seen on Pinterest and whatnot. But they, they don't really start with thoughts of how they would like to feel in the dress. How are they going to move in it? What's the flow? Like, do they want to have a complicated first dance? Or, you know, that's that's what I mean when I say, what, what would you like from the dress? How would you like the dress to reflect you on the most important day of mm. your life? So Yeah, so you're saying that really there's a practicality about this as well. You're right. It's the only day you'll probably wear this. Well, some do on a couple of occasions, but most one time only. And, and that's a very important consideration. You also say that uh, brides need to think about their underwear. Explain that to me, please. Well, um, yeah, it needs to be, first of all, functional. Um, it's not like... I would say they need they need to choose something that will feel comfortable, that will give them the best look on the outside, not to look uh, the, the aesthetics of the underwear. Mm. Um, also, getting tight spanks or something like that, that's rolling, moving. So one thing kind of drags the other. So um, if you're picking a light, kind of soft material, but you want to wear... Uh, shapewear under it it's quite tricky because mm. shapewear always kind of leaves a mark somewhere like we're, we're skin we're soft we're gentle so when you put something that kind of squeezes us there's always a line somewhere that we really don't want it to be <laughs> yes yes the other thing so it's, go on yeah so yeah it's hard to it's hard to choose and and it's hard for them to kind of swim in those waters that's why I think it's very important from us as designers to kind of help them yeah. do that journey mm. but the underwear is an important aspect and you were also saying to our Louise that the strapless dress and if you're not wearing a bra you're just there all day pulling it up pulling it up that's not a good <laughs> a good decision is it no that's why I say when I when I mean you need to be comfortable with your choice uh, if if you've never worn uh, a corset before or, or go strapless, try it on and see how you feel. If it feels uncomfortable or or you're insecure, then just don't go for it. Mm. Um, straps can be extremely elegant. Uh, if they're put on right, they can, they can feel also more comfortable because pulling up a dress that's kind of going nowhere, like especially in today when everybody has phones, 
it, it's inevitable to have loads of pictures with you kind of trying to <laughs> yes. grab everything around. So <laughs> You don't want to be watching that in the video in years to come and saying, oh, holy exactly. God. Unfortunately, you... it's yeah. not like before where, where media is not so wide, you know. Now... Everybody's watching us all the time on a wedding day. We hear what you're saying, Andriana. We do indeed. Now, you, of course, uh, design and make bespoke dresses. But what about people, say, who buy their dresses elsewhere? Are you open to them coming to you to do alterations? Yes, of course. That's also a very important part of the journey. Um, Mm. If you fall in love with, with with a finished dress and you need it altered, it's still not it if you know what I mean if it's done wrong it can also be a horrible experience and kind of mark the whole wedding not just the wedding day but like everything so um, I definitely open my door for girls like that we try different things see how it fits better I definitely put my input in it (laughs) I'm very straightforward um, which I think those girls kind of need it sometimes but also gentle it's it's very hard to find your way amongst such variety of models and, and, and will you be honest and, like they are and say yes to the dress if there's something you don't like will you just try and now cushion it gently but will you tell them that you know oh no it's not you uh, well not not that I don't like um, I think tastes are very much different mm. I always try to look at the bride from her perspective see what she likes how she feels comfortable and kind of then push with that if I see a technical problem that some other change might might enhance how she looks and feels, then definitely, yes, I would suggest it gently and try to kind of steer her towards it and see how she feels if we would do such a drastic change. Mm. Um, to be honest, in 99% of cases, the girls just go with it and are actually very happy, even happier with their dress mm. after that. So, Yeah, it's a big day, isn't it? And a big responsibility and... You want to get it right. But you've lots of experience, as you said, from uh, your time in Croatia and now here in Ireland. Exciting times for Studio Nader Design on Ludlow Street. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes, it's so exciting. It was a brave, uh, bold move. <laughs> mm. But uh, I'm really, really, really enjoying it. And to be honest, the feedback I've received in Navan alone is absolutely amazing. I feel nice. very, very welcomed. Well, listen, uh, welcome you should be and good luck to you with the business. You are enhancing the heart of Navin again in Ludlow Street and check her out. Nader Design, When are you open at the moment or when are you actually opening? Uh, I'm open at the moment. Good. I have a, yeah, yeah, I'm open at the moment. Still waiting for my signage, though. <laughs> <laughs> but people find, find a way to find me. <laughs> yeah, but she's there. She is there indeed. Look, we just wanted to say hello to you. Wish you well. Good luck to you with everything, Andriana. Thank you so much. Not at all. Take care of yourself. I feel absolutely amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's Andriana Mitchell there. Fantastic lady. Years of experience. Really top class at her job. Opening on Ludlow Street in the heart of Navin. Signage on the way, as she says. Signage on the way here. Eddie Caffrey's on his way on LMFM Radio Next with The Drive. We're out and about in Black Rock tomorrow. Just to remind you that on the main street, coasting along with late lunch each Tuesday. We'll see you there if you're in the area. But uh, if not, have a nice evening and talk to you tomorrow, one thirty. The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan.